Good morning. So this morning, um, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt insignificant? Maybe in how someone spoke to you. Maybe you were in a room and you just felt like the people around you um, had so much more experience or knowledge or um, power than you did. Maybe, maybe those memories of insignificance aren't exactly positive. Or maybe in some ways they can be. I remember um, when I was younger, we went to, in Glasgow, there's a, a science centre, and as part of the science centre, they have um, a planetarium where you can go and they do presentations about the sky. And I remember they showed you, um, they showed you pictures. It was up on like, the ceiling of, of the room and the, the chairs reclined so you could look up and see. And I just remember as they showed you, they showed you the Earth and then they showed you um, the planets in our solar system and then they showed you the Milky Way and the galaxies and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and they showed you, it got to the stage where they showed you just this, this dot and if it was on an A4 page it would have been like a full stop size, a tiny, tiny dot and they said that that was the size of Earth in comparison to this galaxy and I remember in that moment just thinking, like it was, it was almost like you couldn't quite comprehend just how um, grand and how magnificent and, and large and just enormous that the galaxies are, that we would just be the equivalent of a full stop on a page. And so in some ways, I think that gave me a feeling of insignificance, but not in a negative way, but just in realizing just how grand God's creation is. I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a talk by Louis Giglio where he, I think it's indescribable, it's called, and he goes through the different um, different uh, parts of the creation and different parts of the galaxies. And it's, it's really worth watching if you haven't seen it. But when I was at Bible college, one of the classes that I took was called um, Framework of Christian Thought. So basically looking at why we believe what we believe or systematic theology, if you want to give it its fancy name. And one of the days we were looking at creation and what the Bible says about creation and what our theology has become around creation. And our lecturer put some images up on the screen from the Hubble telescope, which is a massive, massive telescope in, in America. And it takes pictures of the sky. And again, I suppose it brought me back to um, those feelings in, in my childhood when I was at the planetarium and seeing just how grand God's creation is and realizing in some ways just how small we are in significance to the greatness of his creation. And, and actually my lecturer had said, you know, sometimes when I'm getting overwhelmed by life's little problems and she's... And, she's aware that there are little problems, that she would go onto the Hubble telescope website and just look at these pictures of creation, look at these pictures of the sky and how grand it is. And actually that would help her put into perspective some of the issues that she was facing. And so the problem is with significance and insignificance, when we're looking at that, the problem is that the world has quite a different perspective on what significance is. And what we recognize as significance isn't necessarily significant in God's kingdom. Purely by existing, we are significant to God. As humans, we are the pinnacle of his creation and we're his children, whether we know it or not. And because of that, that means that we are significant to him. But being significant to his kingdom, well, I think it requires a little bit more from us. When the, in the world's search for significance, we look for it in self-achievement, in getting certain grades, in being bigger or smarter or faster or richer than the people around us. But in searching for significance in those places, the world loses 
what really is significant in the kingdom. Um, probably a couple of years ago now, when we were still in our old building, um, we used to have the kids in a separate room. And every Sunday, Eli, um, most of you I'm sure know Eli, Eli would come to church and we would go out and we would be doing some songs and then we'd go to sit down at the table and Eli would always have an empty seat beside him. And if anyone tried to sit in it, he would make sure he would make it very clear that they were not allowed to sit in that chair because it was Mr. Nobody's chair. And so Mr. Nobody had to get a copy of the worksheet and had to get his own snack. And maybe that was just so you could get extra, but had to get his own snack and had to be included in the conversation, included in the table. Um, and actually the Bible is full of Mr. Nobody's. People who, are on, who were only given the briefest glimpse of, people whose name we may not even know or might not even be recorded, or that actually, even if it is recorded, many of us wouldn't remember because their appearance is so brief. And if you're really honest, most of us skim through all those names because some of them are really hard to read or we can't pronounce them. And while we're all somebodies in the eyes of God, what if God is calling us to be a little bit more like Mr. Nobody? God wants us to find satisfaction in him. He wants us to know our worth is in him. And he wants us to invest our time and our thoughts and our energy into things that are significant to his kingdom. Because when we truly know that we are somebody to God and we know our significance is in him, our perspective becomes kingdom perspective. So are we willing to be the person whose name no one might know, who doesn't get the credit, and who is seemingly insignificant, if it allows us to be truly significant in the kingdom. Throughout the Bible, there are men and women whose actions have had a huge impact on the outcome of events, and yet most of us wouldn't recognize their names. And some of their names aren't even documented. There's something in us that longs for recognition, that longs for acknowledgement of our actions. And I suppose in our culture now, it's only magnified because if it doesn't go on Facebook and if it doesn't go on Instagram, then did it even happen? But in the book of Exodus, we find the story of Moses. Now, if you're considering insignificance or lack of recognition, I suppose Moses doesn't really fit the bill. If you grew up in church, um, you, know about, you no doubt learned about Moses, um, about the burning bush, about the plagues, about the parting of the Red Sea, or the, and the Israelites being freed from slavery in um, Sunday school. And even if you didn't go to Sunday school, um, there's been so many films and there's been a lot of talk about Moses. Moses isn't exactly a secret character. But if it hadn't been for some actions of some insignificant and often look, overlooked people in Moses' life, Moses wouldn't have even survived until his first birthday. In Exodus 1, we find the story of Moses' birth, or of the, just before Moses' birth. It says, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them. They let the boys live. When the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. 
they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Now, if I'm being honest, and maybe if you're being honest, I don't know if I could have told you what the names of those midwives were. These women were just going about their everyday lives, doing what they'd spent years doing, working as midwives. And it's unlikely they were the only midwives for the Hebrew people, given how vast and how great in number the Hebrew people had grown. But it's possible that they had some kind of responsibility within the midwives. Or that Pharaoh maybe felt that by speaking to them, he would spread enough fear amongst the the, um, other midwives that it would share his decree amongst them. Either way, these women were not looking for recognition. They were just going about their ordinary lives. But they knew God. And they knew that what Pharaoh was asking them to do was not of God. So they made the choice to be faithful to God, regardless of what those consequences might be. They didn't make the choice because they thought their names might be made great. They had no idea what the implications of their actions would be. A few months ago, Neil shared about stretching our thinking beyond just this generation and beyond our lives and looking to what we can invest that might actually reap fruit for the generations to come. And would we be okay with with contending and praying for things that we might never get the chance to see the fruit of? And unknowingly, that's exactly what these women did. They knew God and they knew the importance of obeying him, of doing what was good in his eyes, even if it meant they had to disobey Pharaoh. Because of their choice, a baby boy was born. This boy would be used to change the lives of the children of Israel. Moses was used to lead his people to freedom, freedom from the oppression of the Israelites, of of the Egyptians. And because we only hear about these midwives in a few verses, we don't know if they ever got the chance to see the outcome of their actions. And these women didn't make the choice because they knew what would happen in the future, but they made the choice because they knew it would honor God. And so God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. The midwives didn't expect anything in return for their actions. They didn't do it because they were going to get something in return. And I don't know about you, but sometimes if I was to really look at my um, actions and the reason behind them, I can easily slip into doing it because of what I'm going to get out of it or for the approval of the people around me. But God wants his children to know him and to know that the only significance that really matters is being significant to his kingdom. And for most of us, that's probably going to look like being a nobody to the eyes of the world, but ultimately having a hugely being a hugely significant somebody in the eyes of our Heavenly Father. Just like the midwives, our choices need to be made out of relationship with our Father, not for the approval of man, not for power, and not because it will get us a reward, but because it will bring glory to the Father. In 2 Kings 5, we find another story. It's an account of a soldier called Naaman. It says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. 
Now bands of readers from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he could cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl had said. By all means, the king of Aram replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robe and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard what, that the king had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have, have this man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent him a message to say, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that, surely, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spots and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Fafar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servant said to him, My father, if the prophet has told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. In most of our Bible passages, or in most of our Bibles, this passage will be entitled The Healing of Naaman, or Naaman Healed of Leprosy. And often in this story, we spend time talking about Naaman or the prophet Elijah, and they are kind of regarded as the heroes of this story. But again, like Moses, in this story, there is a lesser known hero, a nameless girl without whom Naaman would never have known of Elisha. This young girl was an Israelite who was being held captive as a slave in the house of Naaman, the captain of the Syrian army, the very army that had captured her and kidnapped her. You could understand if she had not chosen to help, and actually you could even understand if she would have wanted to see the suffering of her captives. Naaman was essentially the enemy. He and his men were, and the people they were fighting for were the reason that she was a slave and living away from home and her loved ones. And yet she was able to show them compassion. This young woman knew God and what it meant to be significant in the kingdom of God. Naaman was not an Israelite and yet Elisha was sent to bring healing to him. God uses all kinds of people, especially the insignificant. In this story, we hear him use a prophet, a soldier, a king, a captain of the armed forces, his wife, and ultimately a nobody, a slave girl. God uses her in what everyone else might see as her limited capacity, her limited influence. And again, like the midwives, we don't know what happened to her after this story. But despite her seeming insignificance, the few words that she said were enough to convince the chief of the armed forces to follow her advice. Now, our struggle with insignificance isn't exactly a new thing. 
Although the need for approval and significance actually is often a trait that nowadays we associate with the millennial generation, actually it's been an issue for generations and generations, but it's just looked different. Jesus had to address it with his disciples. In Matthew 18, the disciples were debating with each other about who among them was the greatest. At this stage, the disciples were starting to understand who Jesus was and that he might just be the promised king and the Messiah and that this had implications for them. As Jesus' close friends and disciples, this group of fishermen, tax collectors, nobodies in the eyes of those around them, they could potentially be the friends of the king, the promised Messiah, and recognized as somebodies. So they go to Jesus to find out what it means for them. They ask him, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They didn't quite grasp what Jesus had meant by the kingdom. They were looking at it from their earthly perspective, with their earthly understanding of what significance means. And so Jesus, being Jesus, doesn't actually answer their question directly. Instead, he redirects them away from their ideas of what significance and greatness is. He teaches them what God considers to be great. Jesus goes on to talk about what the kingdom of God is by and educating them about kingdom values. He redefines greatness according to the perspective of heaven. How do you define greatness? And how do you know when you see it? In Jesus' time, the world viewed greatness very similarly to the way we do now. It looked like power, it looked like money, it looked like achievements, and it looked like knowledge. And not that placing value on these things is wrong, but it's not where we get our significance from. These are different to what Jesus taught. And Jesus has a different standard on what's valued in the kingdom of heaven. And what's valued in the kingdom isn't what necessarily is valued on earth. True kingdom significance looks like humility. In verse 3, it says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's the upside down kingdom. Titles and positions don't matter without humility. Jesus is talking to this group of ambitious men who wanted to find significance and wanted to find significance in his kingdom and that actually they discovered that the way they get significance in his kingdom is not the way they thought. To get, into, to get significance in his kingdom, they must become insignificant. In the first century, a child wasn't thought of as important. They were thought of as insignificant. So imagine how it is for this group of adults when they are told by Jesus that to be significant, they have to become like this little child an insignificant, unimpressive, uneducated little boy. A child is completely dependent on their parents to meet their needs. He cannot make money, he has no authority, he has very little influence. They trust in their parents for every little thing. As adults, we quickly become reliant on our skills, on our abilities, on our knowledge as we go about our day. We get caught up in the world's priorities, desiring power or wanting to be better or at least perceived as better than the people around us. And many of us really struggle with the idea of having to be dependent on anyone for anything. 
But that's what Jesus is saying, that you have to change your mindset completely. Look at this child, become like him, the child who's not seen as great by anyone and yet is content in who he is. Greatness, according to the kingdom, is found in insignificance. If we're honest, it's just as confusing to us as it would have been to the disciples. And sometimes we quite quickly in our actions forget what it truly is to be significant in the kingdom. We need to consider how different this teaching is, a completely different set of priorities that shapes Jesus' value system. He's not impressed by what the world is impressed by. And he's probably not impressed often by how we react or how we act in different situations. God does not value those who aim to find their significance in themselves and their things. But rather, Jesus commends those who are significant, who are insignificant in the world's eyes, because they are significant in his. As we prioritize kingdom significance, you may be recognized as significant to the world, but the important thing is where we place our priorities. By spending time in the presence of God, our focus and our perspectives shift. Are we willing to be the person whose name no one knows, who doesn't get the credit, and who is seemingly insignificant, if it allows us to be truly significant in the kingdom? Everyone in the kingdom is the greatest, for everyone has the righteousness of Christ. God has filled every one of his children with his spirit, and because of that, everyone is perfected and and will continue to be perfected by God. God wants us to remember what significance truly is. And when we get caught up in the world and get caught up and our eyes are taken off the Father, we forget what significance truly means. God wants us to know how significant we are as his children, how significant we are just because he created us. He loves us so dearly because we are his children. And that is what's significant about our relationship with him. He's calling us into a deeper place of knowing who he is, of knowing his love for us and of prioritizing his kingdom before the the things around us and before the people around us. Because by doing that, when we prioritize his kingdom, when we place our significance in his kingdom, we will truly be able to be his children and be the better version of ourselves that he wants us to be because we will continually be will continue to become more like him being perfected and made perfect in his glory amen <laughs>